the bells already been rung, and they've heard it. about finally having everything you always wanted. Welcome to the DC Film Squadcast. This is the DC Universe podcast where we discuss the DC Extended Universe movies and TV shows. We're all big fans of what DC Comics is doing on the big and small screens, so we want to make sure we talk all about it. Thanks for joining me today. This is Scott, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be another uh, Scottcast episode. But do not worry, I have a special guest. It's just like March, when I'm giving Tim a week off. It's amazing. So before we get to our special guest, uh, I do want to take an opportunity to remind everyone that we are members of the Squadcast Media Network. Network. That does include the DC Comics Squadcast with Chris and Jordan, including Chris's solo show that's just been included in the network, the Horror Comics Podcast. We will eventually have DC TV Squadcast back. I know we've been waiting on that one with Ray, and the next episode we'll have Chris talking about the 1990s Flash. Of course, we have Fans Without Borders with Brent and Ray, and Marvel Squadcast is kind of back with Brent and Brock, you know, a little bit more intermittent, but, you know, check your feeds. Whenever there's news, they'll record an episode. We also I want to take this opportunity, of course, to thank all of you who support us over at patreon.com slash squadcastmedia. Your financial assistance is greatly appreciated. It really does keep the lights on. Uh, just, of course, uh, just to remind you that it's that $5 a month tier that gets you access to that exclusive RSS feed of, of content. You know, the Batman Returns Squadcast Movies Patreon episode is out with all six hosts talking about Batman Returns. I actually just finished listening to that the other day. It is hilarious, so go check it out. And I do know that their review of 1977 Spider-Man has been scheduled to record. I can't wait to listen to Prince's reaction to that movie. That's all I'm going to say about that. And Tim and I also did a very special episode of Fans Without Borders Plus where patron Nick joined us and we discussed season two of Amazon's The Boys. So once again, thank you again. And if you want to consider uh, supporting us, go to patreon.com slash squadcastmedia and $5 a month. We'd appreciate it. Okay, guys. So I have a special guest with me today because in about less than two weeks, weeks is going to be November 17th, which in this fandom is a very special date. Infamous and famous, depending on which year you're talking about. So what I, who I have with me today is Justin Lesneski, who has written a novel called The Cut, You Can't Make It Alone. Justin, welcome to the DC Film Squadcast. Thank you, and I kind of feel a bit superfluous because with a name like Scott, where you can have the Scott cast, I don't know if you even need a podcast host at that point. I always need a host at that point. I... The listeners are very aware how much Tim and I hate solo shows. It's not fun when we do this by ourselves. We, we just, we're just way too used to having someone else to bounce off of. Yeah, I feel you completely with the solo stuff. I didn't like doing it at first on my show, but then I got used to it. And if you need uh, if you need a place to study, listen to a, uh, an episode of Bill Burr's podcast or listen to a bunch. He does every episode solo, so he really shows how to do it well. Oh, nice. Thank you. All right, Justin. So you're here because you and I, full disclosure, we have, we have talked many times 
times and on Twitter. And we also, I technically met about this time last year on Dave the Film Junkie's vodka stream, uh, dealing with, you know, various Snyder Cut fandom issues. And that's where we met. And that's when I found out through various appearances that you were writing a novel that would be of interest to some of our listeners. So how about you tell them uh, what you've been working on? So uh, The Cut is a fictionalized based on a true story. Uh, I was going to say story, but I I wasn't going to say novel, but that's redundant. It's fictionalized. It's based on a true story. Basically, what I thought about is, especially with uh, Scott O'Connell coming out with his book about the fandom, uh, I thought through conversations with other people in in the fandom that, you know, mutual uh, mutual, uh, friends we have, that no one's really going to tell the story of what happened. And not just that, the story of what it means for the human experience. Because to me, the, the, the victory of the the release of the Snyder Cut means a lot philosophically for our culture and for humanity as a whole. And I realized through talking with people, I'm really the only one in the fandom and possibly the world, if I could be so presumptuous, who could tell that story. So then, you know, quarantine happened, lockdown happened. And I was like, well, I've got all this time all of a sudden. So why don't I actually write it? So I sat down, I outlined it. I kind of put all my research together because a lot of this as, as fans, I'm sure you're aware of this. We do a lot of research that we don't even realize we're doing because we're just so involved and so interested and we're reading articles and we're talking to people and we have all this knowledge that we don't necessarily know we have and I'm speaking to everyone in the fandom you don't know how much of an expert you are on this topic you don't realize it until you start talking to people who have no idea about it and so I formalized that and I put it in an outline and then I actually sat down and wrote the book okay so I wanted to go back to something that you said because because I, I heard you made a comment how you felt like you were uniquely qualified and I wanted you to rewind and expound on that what what how do you perceive yourself as being very uniquely qualified to uh, write this project? Yeah, and when I'm talking about the philosophical meaning, I'm talking about uh, the idea of integrity and the idea of individualism and and how this was really a, a cultural battlefield where I think a lot of people miss the broader scope of what happened. And I don't think it was just like, oh, there was a there was an agenda against Zack Snyder. Or people didn't like Zack Snyder. Uh, I don't think it was just, you know, the relationship with Jeff Johns and John Berg or whoever these people you want to name drop is. I think that when you look at the ideas within the Zack Snyder's movies and within our culture and the way our culture operates overall with the relationships between corporations, the media, and the government, and thankfully the government wasn't involved in this one. That would have made the story even worse. But when you look at the relationship between corporations and media, especially with Hollywood being corporate media, uh, I, I just think a lot of the ideas are important and a lot of people don't address them. And as someone who... I, I don't like to use labels for fandoms because there's such controversy with it and it carries so much baggage, but I would basically be an objectivist. And as an objectivist who has always looked at sort of the overall machinations of our culture, I mean, I've been doing my podcast since 2011, 2012, and that's what we look at. We don't just look at, oh, hey, here's a story. We look at, hey, how does this story fit into the overall narrative of our culture? And I think Snyder has been someone who's been extremely influential on the overall narrative of our culture. And I think that has a lot to do with what happened. So with that perspective of having analyzed him for years, talked from that perspective for years, and coming from an objectivist perspective, I think I had more to say from a thematic standpoint about it than simply talking about, and uh, maybe this is a bit touchy on this show, but simply talking about it from a comics fandom uh, perspective. I didn't want to just come from, oh, here's the comics perspective. I intentionally actually did not use the word comics once in the book, and that was a very intentional choice because I wanted to not distance from that, but I wanted to shift the focus from that.
that. No, and I picked up on that as I read the book, because, spoiler alert, everyone, I've read the book already. And it's kind of the reason Justin's on the show, because I wanted to give him an opportunity to talk about it with, you know, my knowledge of the book. The, the novel deals with the idea more of the conflicts of ideas that can come into play just with the idea of adaptation and interpretation from one source to another. And I'm not saying that's the only thing, but I definitely felt like that is definitely one of the core ideas behind the conflict, both in the novel, and then you can, of course, extrapolate that to being one of the core ideas in the conflict uh, in the real-life story of what happened with Justice League. Yeah, 100%. Adaptation is one of the, the motifs that's in there, because especially when you're adapti- when you're adapting, right? When you're doing an original property, it's a lot easier to get, get that creative control, because you're the only one who knows, right? You invented it whole cloth, and you get to say, no, I'm the expert on this, I know. But when it's adaptation, and you get into these things like, I mean, Batman doesn't kill, right? When you get into these rigid rules of, he should be the big blue boy scout, Batman doesn't kill, there are people who consider themselves experts on how the character should be. And then people don't even uh, address, and this again goes to you know my unique perspective, they don't address the idea of, well, what is an adaptation and what does it mean to adapt and when do you lose the core character and, and when is it actually still that character? And those are the questions that interest me more than does Batman kill? And that's what I mean when I don't like to always come at it from a comics perspective. I, I hint at those things, right? I talk about those things, but I don't go in depth about them because to me, the more interesting question is, well, how does the human mind interact with these properties and who has a right to do what? And that was something that I definitely picked up on because I, I do want to, you know, beginning to plug your book as, as much as I can. It was a very breezy read. And, and, and I hope you take that within the spirit that it was intended. I read the thing in four days. Your your prose style definitely, it's easy to swallow while dealing with these larger issues. Because I've read other books before that try to tackle really big issues and you can get lost in the weeds just in the just in the prose style itself. So I wanted to compliment you on that and I and I and I hope that was something you were going for. Oh no, I appreciate that. I mean I'm sure you can understand uh, from we're both teachers. I think you can understand what I both what I'm about to say is one of the rules I have posted in my my classroom. And one of the things I tell my students is good writing, good communication is concise and specific. And again, you're about to see why I don't like to use labels and identify with fandoms because I'm about to piss off all the objectivists who thankfully aren't listening to your show. But I think one of Rand's biggest weaknesses is she's not always concise. She's always very specific, but because she's hyper obsessed with specificity, she loses conciseness. Whereas myself, I'm focusing more on the conciseness and on the organization. Uh, A compliment uh, one of my friends who edited the book said uh, that I was really proud of, and I think it speaks to what you're saying as well, is that the structure is very, very strong. It's the strongest point. And that is something I was going for. I very intentionally paced it out in a certain way, you know, pre-production, production, production, post-production. And then I made sure each of the characters' arcs and their appearances were paced out in a very specific way. And I I will tell you that that was definitely achieved. And I noticed that because unfortunately, you know, like, like when I watch movies, I don't just watch them. Like, I'm looking for these things. So I, I definitely come at it from a different perspective than other people would. But one thing I did want to bring up, because thinking about um, people who might be interested in reading this book, I want to go go ahead and say that do not read Justin's novel anticipating some sort of bombshell revelation, okay? I read this novel, and as someone who has been doing this podcast for five years, I follow the story literally from day one. There was a lot about Justin's novel that was familiar. Would you say that would be a fair 
fair assessment. Yeah, although I say it depends on the knowledge base of the actual reader. Right. I would say that if anyone's been a long-time listener to this podcast, if you remember well enough, you will have heard the stories. Like, I, I, like I, I'm sitting there going, oh yeah, I remember reporting on that, I remember reporting on that, I remember reporting on that. What's different, and something I would like you to expound upon, is you're not really, I don't want to speak for you, but my, my perception was you're not really that concerned about the actual events that were happening. It was more you were using the the um, d- the medium of fiction of the novel to delve more into the psychology of the people who would be involved in an event like this. Correct. Uh, one of the things I love about Zack Snyder's works, one of the things I love about Ayn Rand's works is that they're romantic. And that means it's not about sticking to reality 100%. It's not about saying this is what actually happened. And it's fiction. And I would never, as you just very kindly did not want to speak for me, I would never assume to speak for any of these people. These are fictionalized characters, right? They don't represent real people. They're inspired by real people, but they're meant to be archetype. Because what interests me in fiction is not reality. It's the ideas that drive the human experience. So I wrote it in a way that says, okay, as you just said very well, the type of people that are involved in this, how do they get involved in it? Why are they involved in it? Why do they make the choices they do? And how does that create the outcome it creates? And to do that, to make that point, and this is why I love romanticism, and it's also why I, I grew up loving science fiction, is you have to fudge reality. And you have to say, okay, maybe this couldn't have happened exactly like this. Maybe this is absurd to think that human beings are exactly like this in the real world, but it's not a documentary. It, it's, it's, it's a fiction novel trying to delve into an idea, and it's much more interesting to do it in a way that it's not a documentary. That's why you it can be breezy. That's why it can be structured the way it is. That's why it can be more dramatic. I don't want to spoil anything, but as someone you've read it, you're going to know what I'm talking about. In particular, there's one chapter that it even got me when I when I wrote it the first time and when I edited it the couple times I edited it because it's not meant to be what actually happened, but it's a hypothetical that says if this had happened, what would be the core issues at stake for these people who are experiencing this? And so I distilled it down to that and wrote it in as such as concise way as possible to communicate that experience they may have had. I at least feel like I know the ballpark of, if I don't know the exact chapter, I at least know, you know, the general area in the book you're talking about. Because one thing I do want to say, as someone who has followed the story, who knows the events that you are fictionalizing and portraying in your novel, there was still a level of suspense and tension that I experienced reading the book not because I was wondering well I was wondering what was going to happen but almost in a way of I know how this played out in real life what is Justin going to do in the book and that gave me a certain level of anticipation suspense tension dread you know things you almost expect from a thriller I was experiencing that through the book when stuff would pop up and I would go where's he going with this because I know what this is supposed I know what's quote supposed to happen but how is it going to play out here and I found that to be a very interesting experience because I tend to be someone who's very spoiler averse I don't tend to like to know what's going to happen I prefer to be surprised and I know that there's there there's you know uh there's that research out there that says spoilers don't actually have the effect that you think it has but this was one of those cases where I was like well I know how the story plays out in real life so I see characters who I know who they are representing in real life and I go okay Justin what you gonna do here how's this gonna play out and I was wondering uh, was that something that you in 
intentionally were going for, or was it just the nature of the project? I'm going to go one step deeper. I think it's the the nature of my view on story and, and the nature of my view on fiction to build on the, the romantic elements that I just said. There are something like, uh, maybe you know this off the top of your head, I don't remember the number, there's something only like seven possible types of story. I don't mean conflicts, I mean stories. Yeah, that's the, yes, exactly. Yeah, I know it's, it, you know, and, and every, every story that's told is some variation on these seven or so core ideas. Right. So essentially, what matters in a story is not what you're telling, it's how you tell it. And what I mean by that is somebody could take this exact same story, and I don't mean the way I've plotted it, but I mean the basic, you know, the basic beats of this story, right? We, we all know what happened behind the scenes. Somebody could take that and they could write a different novel and they could tell it completely differently because what matters is how you tell the story. And what you're talking about, uh, again, thank you for the compliment. I take it as a huge compliment what you just said because it shows that I have a unique voice and that I approach it in a way that is compelling. And that means I'm bringing my how of this story to this novel and it answers the the first question you asked. I believe it was the first question you asked. Uh, It it shows rather than tells because, you know, answering a question in interview form is necessarily telling, but good communication is showing. It shows how I had a unique perspective to bring to the story. That if you're someone who is extremely knowledgeable, right, I would consider you one of the experts on this situation, right? I think the wonderful thing about Dave Pena's uh, Vodka Streams is I think he brings in a bunch of experts with a bunch of different perspectives. I think he brings in the true experts. Oh no, I just divided the fandom, whatever. Um, And as someone who is that one of those experts, I think that that you would even say that speaks highly of my work and I appreciate that very much. No problem. I mean, there was a, I'm tackling as a reader, I'm coming from so many different perspectives to your novel. I'm coming from someone who I unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, have been engrossed in this story for way longer than it should have gone on. Let's let's be honest. This is this has been a ridiculous last three years. I'm also someone who enjoys reading in general. So I mean, let's be honest. Even if you were writing about something that I was interested in, if this novel had been crap, I I wouldn't be sitting here saying nice things about it because I, I'm also I'm a reader. It has to, I have to find some value in it to entertain me, not just regurgitate a story that frankly I I, I could I could outline this. I could go through all our show notes from the last three years and like I, I can find the news stories that said all these things but like you said it's it's you examining what possibly and, and I think and I think that's another thing that needs to be very well stressed because some people can be very literal minded this is just a a what if possible these people who and I hope you don't hope you don't take this the wrong way or I hope it was intentional but you don't necessarily you don't even attempt to hide who your characters could or do represent in the real life situation. Is that fair? Well, I mean, I'd be a pretty writer if I named them the way I named them if I was trying to hide it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, full disclosure, some of the names all practically rhyme with the person who they're supposed to represent, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Val Thoreau. Come on, man. I, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Sean Ryder, you know. Oh, oh, Ross Keaton. That was, that was the one that was just like, okay, that, well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> but another thing that I found interesting was, because I, I, I don't know, we may have never had this conversation on the vodka stream, so I'm not... So I would be interested to hear your your thoughts about this. But I found it interesting that when you went to write these characters as these archetypes, the sort of psychological profiles of this type of person, not necessarily the this specific person, but this type of person, I was surprised pleasantly at the 
I don't know if the if the sympathetic is the correct word, but you definitely did not shy away from swimming in the gray when it came to people. There are not a lot of white hats, black hats in this book as much as people would like to simplify the story down to. You portrayed certain characters surprisingly from my perspective, maybe not from yours, with a little bit more, this is not a pun, objectivity about (laughs) where, sorry, I just, I just, I was trying to avoid that so much, uh, with where they're coming from and what their experience is and how that influences the decisions that get made in this book. I mean, when I was reading the book, personally, I felt like there was only one true antagonist in the, one overall antagonist in the novel, and even then, by the end, you still allowed the ability to get a window into, okay, but where is he coming from? Not saying that you're justifying it, but just saying, but you you give a more rounded perspective of where someone like this could be approaching the material. Can I just say that I'm absolutely enjoying this, uh, this conversation because you're allowing me to really go into the writer's process and explain the way I approach things, and it's it's phenomenal. It was, what's the point? It's the point of this interview, so go, go right ahead. Well, that was your layup. Of, a lot of people might be like, you know, blah, 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 bad, blah, 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 good, blah, blah, blah. It's just great. So, uh, yeah, I think what you're saying, um, I, I talk about, when I teach, I talk about the difference between descriptive and prescriptive language and communication. And I think when you're writing a story, a conflict is more compelling when you can understand everyone's motivations. And that that's the difference between descriptive and prescriptive. Prescriptive is when you're saying the way things should be, and you're saying what's good and bad. And descriptive is the when you're saying the way things are. And it's the same thing. One of the classes I teach is debate. And I truly believe that in order to be a good debater, you need to be able to argue both sides as if you truly believe it. Now, you may disagree with base premises and you may say, okay, this is why I fundamentally disagree with it, but you should still be able to argue it as if you did agree with that base premise because you understand what it means to believe that base premise and what the implications of that are. It's the same thing when writing characters like this. There would not really be anything at stake if it was just like, okay, well, to use a football metaphor, if you were writing a a story about is it better to have a run-based offense or a pass-based offense and you just made it so the running backs coach and the running back and the offensive coordinator who all believed in the running base uh, offense were just all really low intelligence and they didn't really understand the fundamentals of football and then the quarterback and the head coach and the wide receivers all did. That wouldn't be a compelling novel because there would be nothing at stake. There would be there would be no there'd be no qualities that the other side possessed that you would be like okay well maybe it could be that one. When you're really showing people and you're showing what's at stake with the human experience and with conflicts like this, you have to really show no, this is why these people are this way and this is what they're doing and what what they're trying to pursue and to a certain extent, we are all trying to pursue the same thing. It's just we have wildly different ways of approaching it. And to me, that's what makes stories worth telling. Well, and it comes across because, I mean, there it would be really easy. I mean, it, it's cliche to say that every villain is the hero of their own story, but in the way even your, and I'm being pejorative here, but even your villain sees himself as someone who is trying to do the right thing, who honestly believes what he is doing is the right thing. And I and I found that compelling to go, okay, like this would be the psychology of someone. Um, I wanted to talk about the structure of the book because every chapter is, like, you've already mentioned that the book is divided up oh, it, basically in a three-act structure, you know, 
there's pre-production, production, and post-production. But then within each chapter, the the beginning of the chapter, I felt was very interesting because Justice League's production was definitely one of those Hollywood productions where we can analyze the effects of the media on a production. And you and you made that very clear, in my opinion, with the way that you introduced every every single chapter in this book. And I wonder I wondered if you would talk about that. Yeah, I, I very much wanted to talk about what are the conversations we have and how do they contribute to this? Because I think this is where I was talking about earlier about the broader perspective I have and looking at things is more on a cultural level. I think that this conflict, this event in our culture has implications well beyond the DCEU, HBO Max, AT&T, WB. And that's really what I wanted people to, to realize by reading this book. I wanted them to think, how does this affect my life? How does it affect our culture as a whole? Because if we look at the way the media and the way social media affects the conversations we have with each other, I think we have to acknowledge the way it changes things drastically. And that's what the opening of those chapters were supposed to be. They alternate. Now, again, these characters are not meant to be one specific person, right? But they're based on archetypes. They're based on familiar faces. You you may know if you're if you're familiar with the, the story, as you have said. And it's really about showing that interplay and showing the way that that shapes the story because I tried to do it and maybe you can tell me if I succeeded at this I tried to show that oh hey what these people are saying is actually affecting what's happening where you can see what they say and then a chapter or two later you can literally see the effects of what they're saying on the actual people that it's happening to no absolutely I picked up on that because it's it's part of I felt like it was one of the thematic elements of the novel is the the way that people listen to these outside voices that are technically disconnected from the process and yet how they uh, unnaturally seem to inject themselves into the creative process. Yeah, and I I don't think it's just the creative process. I think, and I'll leave it at this because I don't want to turn the show into this, but I think it's our society as a whole. I think it's everything nowadays. I think it's everything. So not to give away, well, I mean, (laughs) it'd be funny to say give away how the novel ends because we kind of all know how this story ends, but I'm curious with what you were able to include in the book. I want to go, I want to slightly rewind back to the beginning where you talked about, so did you completely start writing this novel during the, during the quarantine and lockdown? And if so, because that was kind of different for different people. Like, so when did the drafting of this novel begin? Just to kind of give a frame of reference of when you started to tell the story, what had already happened by the time you started? And then what happened while you were writing the book that had an effect on the trajectory of the plot of the novel. Oh, I, I see what you're getting at. Uh, so for those familiar with the timeline, we'll know exactly what Scott's, what Scott's driving at. Um, I started writing late March, early April. That's when the real drafting started occurring. Uh, I was, so I am living in Florida now, right? I was living in California in the end of January, 2020. I drove cross country and started a teaching job at a high school outside Orlando. And I worked there for about a month and a half. And then all this craziness happened, right? It was a month and a half, February, half of March. And then we were on spring break. And then they extended spring break. And then they were like, oh, everything's digital. So once I got a grasp on digital, which digital now in the fall semester, the first semester of 2020, 2021 is much different. Every every class is live every day. It's like a full school day. Then it was just posting work for them to do, the students to do, and grading it and being available to talk to them in office hours. And they said, you only have to have three office hours. But once I established that rhythm and everything was closed, right? I mean, in April and... 
you weren't going of, anywhere. <laughs> right, exactly. April, much of May, everything was closed. I wasn't going anywhere. So I was locked in my apartment, right, essentially. And I started doing things like binging all of Boy, Boy Meets World, which was a wonderful experience. I mean, I love that show. It's one of my favorite shows ever. But to a certain extent, I established this rhythm, you know, wake up, do push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups, do all my work, watch some shows, and I s- still had a whole lot of time, right? And then I was like, well, I have this idea. I, I, I said part of the reason I wanted to move to Florida is so I don't have to work multiple jobs so I can actually write books. And so I said, is reality not presenting me with the perfect opportunity? I said, I could sit here and continue to remain depressed and continue to let this whole world calamity beat me down, or I could write a book. So I started drafting in like late March, early April, and then I knew that I wanted this story to be a tragedy. Now, I'm not saying you're going to get to the end of this book and you're going to be like, man, this is depressing. But the story is why, well, I'll say this, the story is the ideas and decisions that led to the theatrical release of Justice League, or, you know, more broadly, the, the, the ideas and decisions that lead to an author's vision being compromised or destroyed. That's essentially the theme. So I wanted it to be a tragedy because if you're talking about comprom- compromising the author's vision or destroying it, that's a tragedy. Now, there is a prologue and an epilogue, and I will say that that is the main thing that changed. When at the end of May, the announcement came, that changed things. That changed the end of the epilogue. But I was always confident we would see the Snyder Cut one day. So it wasn't like I was writing this like super depressed, like, oh my god, we're never going to see it. I always had an idea of the direction the epilogue was going. That just made it a lot easier to write. And then, to be honest with you, I'm sure you know what the final word in the epilogue is. Yes. I I was very dissatisfied with what I had in there before. For months, I was like, oh, it's so hacky. It's so bad. And then that trailer came out in August when I've been editing. And I was like, okay, this finally, this is like the, the, the piece de resistance. This is the, the, the final part that really puts the, the cherry on the sundae. And I edited those final couple of lines and it, it all came together. So I think this speaks to how well I wrote it and how well my understanding of everything that happened is that I had the basic story and I know it so well that the things that happened were easy to slot into the theme because to me that was the logical progression in reality but then again if it continued either way the way I wrote it and my understanding of it on a thematic philosophical psychological level I could have adapted whatever the outcome was into there because of how well I understand in my opinion what's actually going on and at stake okay well as we kind of wrap up our time here I had a a couple more questions and then of course we have to do the, the shameless marketing because you do have a book coming out first off I wanted to ask you I'm not really sure what your philosophy is on this I'm not you know if there's the idea of art for art's sake or if there is something that you're hoping that you know do you write the book for a particular audience or do you have hopes that a certain audience will discover your work so I was just kind of curious as I was reading the book I was very taken with I'm reading it from a perspective of someone who frankly knows this stuff they're the little winks they're the little nods I it, it would be it might be something to call them like they're Easter egg like there are there are definitely Easter eggs in the book that if you are as well versed in the events as you know those of us in this community are we know what you're saying but definitely somebody who is Joe Blow on the street like my wife who only knows what I've you know told her over the last three years there are things in this book that won't won't click for them and but it's also not essential to the book in my opinion because it doesn't impede your understanding of the characters or what's going on in the book but like the epilogue there's some winks there that if you know you know and if you don't know okay it, it, it just maybe it doesn't land the same way 
I'm curious, was that a consideration, a struggle, or even a concern on your part about who the audience is who will be reading this book? Or did you always write the book with the with the perception that a certain audience would be reading this anyway? My hope with anything I write and anything I create is that as many people see it as possible. Part of the fun for me of creating things like this is having those little winks in there for people who get them and for people who don't. Because it, it creates a connection, it creates a personal connection between them and, and the work of art. I think that's something I share in common with Snyder, where there are things, look, there are straight up things that go over my head as a non-comics guy. And what I mean by non-comics guys, I didn't grow up reading comics. Like, I had the Gambit miniseries, and that was pretty much it. I watched the X-Men animated series, right? People might say that I'm one of these people who made comics mainstream or whatever. I don't know. I'm not as concerned with how other people would place me within uh, a certain culture. But, I, you know, I'm a non-comics guy. So, for instance, when you watch the the, the Justice League trailer with the, the Hallelujah song, uh, there's the, the, the lyric about, like, uh, I'm blanking on the exact formulation of the lyric, but it's about presenting the, the song to, to the Lord of Music and him not wanting it. And it, it essentially shows Superman screaming as if he's singing. And, you know, I have a sci-fi author friend on Twitter who's a huge comics fan, and he's the one who, like, tells me a lot of these things. And if you ever wonder how, like, I know this stuff as not a comics fan, it's because I have these in-depth conversations with him where he essentially educates me. And he educated me on how one time Superman beat Darkseid by singing to him and hitting the perfect note. And he's like, that's clearly a reference to that. I, how the, would I ever know that? There's no way I would have ever known that. And I think that's what- Now you're speaking my language. I'm just, I'm just, because, because I'm sitting here going, oh no, that's the kind of stuff that I'm sitting there going, oh yeah, th- 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 these are the kind of, I'm like your friend. I- I'm the guy that everyone turns to me and go, okay, explain that to me. Right. And that's, you know, it, I'm sure it's amazing to have someone like Zack Snyder for someone like you, but the way Zack Snyder appeals to someone like me is he has that broader perspective that I have as well, where this isn't just a story about Batman versus Superman, right? This isn't right. just a story about Man of Steel. This is a story about the human experience. And if you get the Easter eggs, that's great. But if you don't, it still applies. And I tried to write this book in a way that it applies to both the hyper knowledgeable and they get those Easter eggs, but it also applies to a general audience because they're compelled by these people. And they, they say, wow, why would someone act in this way? Or what is the effect on these people? Or wow, this is really tragic. Because I think this is something that, as I said, it, it, it applies to everyone. And I don't want to, to make it seem like the references are just to Snyder Cut fandom things. I mean, did you pick up any references beyond Snyder Cut fandom things? Oh, of course I did. A- absolutely I did. But I, but once again, it was just the question I just wanted to, you know, commu- I wanted to communicate was that those things are there. And once again, it does not, whether you get it or not, does not detract from your enjoyment of the reading. But I, I wanted to put that out there for anyone who may have had that concern. It's so rare that when you read a book, you actually get to have a conversation with the author. So it, it, it's nice to, when, I, when I'm when ha- i when I'm reading the book and having these questions, it's just so nice to go, well, I actually get to get an answer this time. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. I want to have those conversations with Snyder often. That's why if anyone's ever seen the video from the Director's Cuts event of me talking to Snyder, asking the question about, are the phallic symbols in Sucker Punch intentional? Like, that's a debate I've been having with my best friend for, I had been having with my best friend for years. And I told him, I said, if I ever get to talk to Zack Snyder, I'm going to ask him that and I'm going to prove that I'm right, that they're intentional. So I understand exactly what you're saying. And and the final answer to what you're saying that I want to express is, uh, I believe that the primary audience for anything you create should be yourself. Because if you're not enjoying 
enjoying it, if you're not enjoying the process of creation, if you don't enjoy the final product, no one else will because they will see the lack of joy in it. And I think there are a lot of products that are created nowadays, both in art and otherwise, that you can tell it's not coming from that perspective. So ultimately, the person I wanted to gratify was myself. And I knew if I could gratify myself, it sounds so... I'm about to say, you, I just, I, I'm going to leave this in just because I'm snickering back here, but go right on ahead. No, and, and if I could gratify myself, then I could gratify others. And that's that's a philosophy I carry forward in life. And anyone who knows objectivism on an actual level knows that that's what it's about. It's not this like dump on other people and shit on other people stuff. It's something that my high school students understand when we discuss these big ideas. And they say, you can't take care of anyone else before you take care of yourself, right? If you're starving on the street, how can you feed anyone else? If you don't have a house for yourself, how can you provide a house for a family? And it's the same thing in creation of anything. If you can't do it for yourself, if you can't make it something that you enjoy, nobody else is going to enjoy it either. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tim and I have been very public about the, the that three-year period where we almost stopped doing this podcast because we were enjoying doing the podcast. And there were people who, you know, we had to find something to, to make it enjoyable for us because we knew that there were other people who enjoyed enjoyed listening to us, but we knew that we had to make best product possible, which involved us enjoying doing it to make it the best product for our listeners as well. So I completely understand. Well, now comes the the shameless plug portion of the interview because you have a release date coming up. And let's be honest, yes, you wrote this thing. Yes, you wanted something that you would enjoy for yourself, but you definitely want other people to enjoy it. So how about you tell our listeners how they can go about enjoying this work for themselves? Very, very simple. Just go to the midside.com slash the cut. There are a bunch of versions available for pre-order. The midside.com slash the cut. If you go there, you can get via Gumroad, you can get EPUB. So that's for any e-reader that's not Amazon Kindle, PDF, and you can get uh, a signed version of the print book, all for pre-order. Via Amazon, because of their self-publishing rules, you can only pre-order right now the Kindle version. You cannot pre-order the print version. The print version will be available November 17th. So folks, guys, it's there. There's a link. Go. If you're interested, if you're curious. Like I said, it's a it's a breezy read. It's, it's a very interesting read. Justin, I'll be honest with you. I read it in four days. I would get on a streak and I, I, I just kept turning the page. So it's it, it's very enjoyable and I would say, guys, if this if this conversation has been anything that makes you even slightly interested in this novel, I can say it's something to go check out. I mean, I know uh, of some of our other friends who have actually finished the book. I know that Chris Wong Swinson over at Ping Pong Flicks, uh, he actually even has a quote on your website, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he does. He I put it up there. I, I mean, I'd have to pull it up to remember the exact one, but if you would be willing to provide me with a quote as well, I will put that up too. Oh, you, oh, oh, oh brother bear, brother bear, throw me in that briar pack. I, I will I will make sure that happens. I, I will, I'll send it your way. All right, there is one more thing that I want to, to note and to emphasize about the sales is that 25% of the sale of every book, of my cut of the sale of every book, I am going to be donated to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention because ultimately the core value in my life is life and the individual's life. So even beyond simply, you know, this is something that as part of the Snyder Cut movement we do, it's just something that matters to me as well. Fantastic. I'm so glad you you brought that up. So Justin, I want to thank you so much for your time to come on to the show. It has been a very, very enjoyable conversation. You've you've made us, you've made it what typically would have been a solo show, a a very pleasant experience. And I thank you so much for that. 
Thank you for having me on. I mean, uh, I love, as I said earlier, I love talking about it on this level. It's great to talk about it beyond just like, these are the things that happen and this is where to buy it. Like actually going into my experience writing it is just, it's enjoyable for me and I hope other people enjoy this episode. All right. So how about you take this opportunity and tell our listeners all the places on social media and the internet that they can find you if they want to know more. As I said, the book uh, pre-orders are available at themidside.com slash thecut. And that's uh, day of, you'll have the print version available there as well. I'll put the link up on November 17th, themidside.com slash thecut. Um, that's my overall website, themidside.com. There you can find the archive of all of my podcast episodes. My podcast is called Welcome to the Midside. Uh, we've done a slight pivot recently because of the same reasons Scott was talking about with his show, the idea that I want to make sure it's enjoyable. Uh, we were talking about a lot of the news, but that's not enjoyable for me anymore. So we're making it more about the the, the human experience, what what's life like in the current culture. Also on the show, talk about movies. I usually see a movie a week and review it. Uh, on the most recent episode, I'm going to be reviewing Synchronic. Uh, this is kind of a spoiler. I enjoyed it very much. So I'm going to go into what I found enjoyable about that. So if you want movie reviews from sort of a little bit of a different perspective, you can check out the podcast. Welcome to the Midside. That's available wherever podcasts are streaming. And then you can mainly find me on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to talk to me, the best option is going to be to DM me. I'm going to be completely honest. I have avoided my Twitter feed for this entire past week very intentionally, and my life has been a lot better for it. So I think I'm going to continue that. I think I'm going to, you know, tweet out sometimes, but I just don't find as much value in these feeds anymore. So the best way to reach me is if you have the midside on Instagram or Twitter and you DM me, I'm always available for DM. Uh, also, if you want to join our Discord, that's you can find that on themidside.com. I respond to people in there as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Justin. And ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for this week's episode of the podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening. It's been a lot of fun. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Of course, you can contact us on Twitter at DC Film Squadcast. I can be reached individually at ScottDC27. Of course, you can reach out to Tim at Alan Fire. And you can always email us at DCFilmSquadcast at gmail.com because we love interacting with you. Please don't hesitate to reach out. You can also find us on Vero, Facebook, and of course, you can find the entire network of shows at SquadcastMedia.com. Patreon.com is SquadcastMedia if you want to be able to support the network and what we're doing here. That's going to be it for this week. And to all of our listeners, go out, stay in, but whatever you do, keep reading DC. Bye, guys. don't understand why there's this obsession with like trying to find out everything that happens before it happens like yeah when I'm watching a story when I'm reading a story when I'm watching a movie I can usually figure out what's going to happen like I referenced Synchronic at the end there and I knew what the ending was going to be I didn't know exactly how they were going to do it but I knew what the ending was going to be and I just I don't understand this obsession with I gotta know everything that happens before I go into the movie theater like just just stop it just enjoy the process of discovery really okay well you know Justin just to let you know whenever someone does decide to go and search out spoilers we we have a way of fixing that oh yeah what's that this